people, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And really excited because today we have another returning guest with us. We have Greg Tito from Wizard of the Coast back with us today. This is going to be a little bit of a different episode, Neil. Uh, it's We're not going to be specifically talking about a specific topic that can kind of be worked into your homebrew game. But today we're going to be talking with Greg about the rise of D&D, where it's come from and where it currently is and where, looking ahead, we see it going. Which, one of the three of us, as we say in the episode, has a lot more insight than two of us does. Yes. But I'm excited for that conversation, nonetheless. Yeah, it's an absolutely amazing conversation. Like you said, a little bit different, but I still think really valuable for anyone listening. And speaking of that, if you are a gold dragon or higher on our Patreon, you can head over and find out the amazing content that I've made that has been super <laughs> difficult to make because I have to base it off of D&D on the rise. So I don't know. Just go <laughs> find out what I made. But before you head on over to Patreon for that awesome homebrew content, Neil, we have some five-star reviews. And our first one comes from Haggard Puppy and is entitled Brand New DM Five Stars. Never played before, and none of my friends had either. Your podcast helped give me the courage to finally set a date and start a campaign. My friends and I had a blast. We started with a short story called The Death Pit of Moloch. Everyone got into their role-playing roles and had a good time coming up with creative ways to surprise. Luckily, I was able to roll with the punches, and the whole game went smoothly. This podcast, I know, will help me for a very long time to come indeed. Only on episode 9, as of this writing, but I am determined to hear it all. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Hagger Puppy. Thank you for that awesome review. Glad that you have started the journey of DMing and started the journey of listening to the show. Episode 9, you've got a ways to go, but I hope to hear from you soon as you continue in both of those paths on both of those journeys yes thank you and as with most podcasters i love that you look at our early episodes more fondly than we do (laughs) okay i was a hundred percent gonna ask that and our next review comes from stitcher and it comes from chaos and doom five stars fun goofy and informative Great and ridiculous stories, as well as useful information. I listen to this daily and love every second of it. Well, short, sweet, and thank you, Chaos and Doom, and anyone else on Stitcher leaving us a review. Yeah, thank you so much. And with that, Neil, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. So today for the meat, we have a returning guest, a special guest, and it is none none other. I cannot say words. (laughs) (laughs) I was three words away from communications, and I couldn't do it. Communications. You were thinking about communications. I I think that was the problem. I'm not going to lie. That's 100% true. (laughs) But today we have with us Greg Tito, Senior Communications Manager at Wizards of the Coast, host of Dragon Talk, and word on the street is he is a man about town. Greg, thanks for coming back. No problem. Thanks for uh, having me back on. This is exciting. Uh, I, I I don't know if I'm a man about town, but I've definitely been on streets before. <laughs> Done. That's all it takes. Hey, Greg. So it's been a while since you've been on the show, and you work at this little company. I think they're kind of, you know, associated with Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Watsi. So what can you tell us about anything that you or Watsi are currently working on, as Neil likes to say, that you can talk to us about, of course? Sure. Uh, so the big thing that I'm working on that is, uh, you know, two weeks away from this recording is D&D Live 2019 the Descent. Uh, it is the follow-up to last year's stream of Many Eyes, uh, where we brought 
so many people from the D&D community together to a studio in LA. We had tons of cosplay, amazing uh, Dungeons & Dragons games played, uh, mostly on our Twitch channel. Uh, and we're switching it up for D&D Live 2019 by having multiple studios going, making content the entire weekend long. Uh, we will have uh, main stage stuff with some of our you know, biggest entertainers like Joe Manganiello and Deborah Ann Wall and uh, Matthew Lillard and uh, some other fun people uh, like Marisha Ray from Critical Role, Matthew uh, Mercer, Taliesin Jaffe, uh, folks from the Adventure Zone. Uh, I know I could probably keep that <laughs> list going for, for too long, but they're, they're amazing. You should check it all out uh, at dnd.wizards.com slash dnd live 2019. It's been uh, a lot of months of planning and getting this all together, but now we're in the final stages in the, and uh, we're burning the midnight candle at all the ends. Yeah, it's I I don't even know if follow up is the right word. This seems to like, truly like you've done every year level up this event. Like I don't know, is, are we in epic tiers now, would we say? We're I, I don't know cuz that where do you go from there? Yeah. Uh we're god level. Yeah. Um no, the uh yes, it's true. We keep trying to add uh more and more stuff to it. I didn't even mention that the fact that, you know, we've uh, been selling badges so public will be able to be there. Uh, for all three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, May 17th, 18th, and 19th, and be able to play in the adventure that we'll be announcing on May 17th in a D&D epic. Have you guys, have you guys ever played in a D&D epic? I have not no. had a chance. They're amazing. I, I have actually never played one either, but I'm always really fascinated by the idea of having 20 tables of people in a room playing D&D. They all have their own DMs. They all have their own kind of goals, uh, squad goals. Uh, at the table, but what they do affects the tables around them and then overall meta goals of everyone in the room playing together. Uh, and there's going to be costumes, lights, sound, uh, really making that a premium experience for people. So, yeah, they, D&D Epics have been uh, at conventions for the last few years. I mean, obviously, it's you know it goes back many years in history, but the Adventurers League has done a great job of bringing that format forward. And then this is going to be an even greater evolution for people to play on Saturday and Sunday. That's just such a cool experience because, like, of course, when you finish playing, you're going to have all these things to talk about with people at your table. But because of that, like, ripple effect, you could literally just go to the next table and the next table and just, like, talk about the things that have happened and, like, find out how it's affected the other games and their stories. And uh, just a really cool segue to be able to talk to people who love the, the game and were part of the event just like you were. Yeah, and there's going to be three sessions of it too. So there also will be hopefully uh, folks who you know experience something completely different that happened in the first session and the third session. And I'm I'm hoping when everyone's mingling and getting ready for the main stage entertainment stuff that'll be happening in the evenings uh, that they'll be talking about. Oh, what did you guys do? Oh, that happened in your game. Who chose that? You chose yeah. that. Oh my gosh, that changed everything. <laughs> and you know, having those kind of um, you know uh, conversations mingling and the mingling about. Yeah, and. Th- the people that are even running those are awesome names in the community. Additionally, the number of podcasters that are going to be at the event at the same time, it's just, it's pure insanity. And Greg, are you ready for it is time for your surprise question? Surprise. Okay. Would you rather play Dungeons and Dragons with a group of authors, a group of actors, a group of musicians, a group of artists, or a group with all of them in it? All combined. You know, uh, I'm going to have to say a group with all of them in it uh, or a player that represented each one of those disciplines because I think what makes uh, Dungeons & Dragons really exciting uh, is the, well, it's the empathy that you have for uh, other people as well as uh, the character that you that you're that you're putting forward and but it's also to me about this blending of disciplines like there is you know d- a typical dungeons and dragons game just isn't about writing it isn't about performance it isn't about map making it isn't just about uh the amazing artwork being shown it's all of those together uh and so having people who have expertise in each one of those disciplines you know, is it would make the perfect D and D party. Honestly, I mean, it's very similar to having the rogue and the fighter and the paladin and the wizard all together using their skills uh, to make the experience, you know, uh, successful at the table. And uh, yeah, I think that would be really fascinating. I mean, I'd love to even add. I don't think there was artists in that list, but I would love to have visual artists in that list as well to to um, be able to document what we're talking, you know, what what happened at the table in, a, in an even uh, a more amazing way. My favorite thing is also like. The idea of adding a mixed group and be like, 
cool. We can do an actual play. You can do the art. You can do the music. You can... <laughs> right? Exactly. It's like, all right, so we're, all re- we're casting a podcast yes. uh, uh, already with this or a stream, whatever, whatever works. Awesome. So that question was from DM Jude. So thank you. And of course, Greg, thanks for that answer. No problem. Thanks, Jude. Hey, Jude. All right, so I'm not the musician. <laughs> this is great because this is the second time we've asked that question to a guest and both people. <laughs> uh, let's keep it going. Let's see how many people we can get with this question. <laughs> I love it. So that leads us straight to our topic. Greg, you know, we kind of bounced ideas back and forth and we came to the idea that D&D isn't what it once was. And we kind of wanted to talk about just D&D on the rise and like yeah. where we where we came from. And who knows where we're going? So I think the question, I don't know if it would be like personal anecdotes of like where we were. Because mm-hmm. I can think of what D&D was like for me when I started over 20 years ago. And just the insanity that is D&D in comparison. For sure, yeah. I mean, I was a uh, you know kid in the 80s. And my I had older brothers. So uh, they were seven, eight, nine years older than me. And I... Uh, would go into their rooms and kind of check out what was on their shelves all the time. And, you know, obviously they had you know music that I got into and, and, and uh, uh, books. And one of the books was uh, a Dungeon Master's Guide that was just on their shelf. I don't know if they even really had read it or had played it, but uh, it was there. And I was fascinated with it. And I loved the idea of jumping into a fantasy world and having this simulation framework uh, that would allow play uh, for the... Um, you know, types of stories that I love, like The Hobbit and things like that. So I read it all and I wanted to figure out how to play. Uh, but I was, you know, young. I was, you know, eight or nine myself when I was reading this stuff. Um, I couldn't really figure out how to to get a group together. I think uh, one thing that was hard to parse from the books themselves was what was actual play like. And I remember... Uh, I forget what edition exactly it was, but there was a preface in one of the uh, early books that had a two-page spread that was a script, essentially, of like, this is what the Dungeon Master says, this is what the players said. And they had, you know, there was some banter written into it, and, uh, you know, that was the only representation of what a D&D session was like that I could grok a little bit, but it still felt a little bit, how do you say, uh, uh, stilted. Like, it didn't feel like, you know, real to me. Um, also, I uh, grew up as a uh, Catholic. Uh, my mother was very uh, adamant about uh, controlling the kind of media that I consumed. Uh, I wasn't allowed to watch MTV. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and so when she realized I was paying attention to Dungeons and Dragons, there was also a lot of conversations about like, well, you probably shouldn't be doing that. I even remember being <laughs> put in front of a, a video that uh, she got from a priest or someone at her church that was like, you know, here's what's wrong with Dungeons and Dragons. And it was, you know, of course, the uh, the midst of the satanic panic all there too. So, you know, to me, that's where that's where Dungeons and Dragons was. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a part of the vibrant community that was in the Midwest at places like Gen Con and, and, and things like that. So I wasn't, I wasn't really seeing the, the positive nature and didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, honestly, there weren't a lot of game stores in Connecticut that I went to or was able to go to probably the more accurate uh, thing uh, when I was that young. So I didn't really kind of get a sense of what everyone was like playing. I just loved it on my own and wanted to kind of explore it. And it wasn't until um, I was in my twenties and living in New York that I was like, wait a second, I can, I'm the master of my own destiny. I can choose to play Dungeons and Dragons with people uh, and I'm living in the biggest city in the world and maybe we can make that happen. And then it, that was in like the 3.5 era of, uh, of D&D. So, you know, and it's, it's kind of gone on from there. What about you guys? What, what was your, you know, uh, the before times uh, of, of D&D? <laughs> so I started in second edition. So I would have been in around like the mid 90s when I started. And I always find it quite humorous because the person that got me into it was actually an ordained pastor. (laughs) And so, you know, I didn't just, but even, even in those days, like the way that you approach Dungeons and Dragons is personal. You know, what you add into the game is what you choose to add into the game. So he ran me, and this is super funny, through uh, the Secrets of Salt Marsh 
the original oh, no the original module he made me an entire party and helped me run to basically say like here are all the kinds of characters you could be here is how they all work which one do you like the most then he ran me through a solo campaign and then i moved into his like actual group after that and but it i think those were the only people i talked to about dungeons and dragons for probably 10 years that's crazy. Like the one group that I got into, because like you said, it wasn't ubiquitous. And also where, where would I go? How would I, how would I find them? What would I, you know, where would I talk to these people? Yeah. Obviously now I figured it out and I, there's this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but that, so for me, it was literally, you know, and it was just such a tight knit, basically 10 people that I would talk to until I got into high school. Yeah. Uh, I came to the hobby much later than Neil, that's for sure. Um, I started playing in college. I remember I had friends in high school that played um, at the my lunch table, and I was a geek. But I, you know, and this is something I regret. But I remember like looking at them and being like, "Eh, nah, that's too geeky." And since now I have gotten into the hobby, I've run into people that I see that that's their reaction, and I go, "Dude." I was there. I understand. But listen, just try it. <laughs> like, just give it a try. And it to me, it's so funny, and I'm sure we'll get more into this, but it's so funny the the reputation that Dungeons & Dragons and tabletop role-playing gets that it's like, oh, like, yeah, people who – People who play that, they have no friends and they don't know how to um, socially interact where it's like, but that's the entire pre- – you can't play without <laughs> friends and it's all social interaction. But, you know, it's funny because we've never – I never have talked about this on the podcast before, almost 200, in, 200 episodes into the podcast because it's never been something that's been prevalent um, in this podcast before when we're talking about, you know, uh, let's look deeper into into unicorns and let's look look deeper <laughs> into uh, world building of this. But this is a conversation that it is prevalent. So um, like Neil said, he was brought into the game by an ordained pastor. I myself am an ordained pastor. And when people oh, wow. find this out and find out that I play Dungeons and Dragons, I either get from people who are Outside of the church, they get this like, wait, what? You're an or, but I thought ordained pastors, I thought pastors and Christians were supposed to hate this stuff. And then I also find a lot of closeted Christians who are like, wait, there's another Christian out there who likes this kind of stuff that, you know, you're not going to like hate on this kind of stuff. And going, going into the hobby, I remember there was a lot of pushback when I even first started back when I was even just in college Mm -hmm. um, from people who were religious. And I tell you what, now with my job, there are teenagers that I have grown in relationship with. And part of that has been our shared love for tabletop gaming. I've had, I have one student in particular that he was real trouble, troubled teen, and he's come so far along and grown. uh, And we've built such a close relationship. And part of that has been our love for D and D I'm ready for any, any religious person at this point now who wants to say to me that it's evil and be like, Hey, let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. (laughs) I'm ready for you. Let's do this. So it is, it is kind of funny seeing it come from that, but I, I'm just seeing so much more of a accepting uh, of it, even in communities. Like we talk about the satanic panic, that it was not accepted in to begin with. Yeah, and I've I mean I've I've mentioned this a few times on on Dragon Talk, uh, you know, about what it was like for me growing up in that uh uh type of environment and and uh you know, I've had people message me on Facebook who are Catholic priests and saying like, "Hey, no, I don't that's yeah. this is not I mean, I've no, I've heard your 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 negativity around it and and uh you know, that's just not my experience. Let me let me share that a little bit, you know, and I've had there's a uh, a Catholic priest who uh, I'm forgetting his name, so I, I feel I feel bad. But he's you know, here's my mini of my character, and I've been dungeon mastering for 30 years, and you know we do it in the church and all this like crazy stuff. I'm like what? You know, to me that was so, um, you know, not my experience. Different so from what you experienced, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's really heartening, and I think it has to do. And now we'll get into what D and D is like now. Um, I think it just has to do with the general 
acceptance and understanding of what makes this this hobby uh, so amazing uh, for people. You know, and, I, and I'm, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when that shift happened. I think because I think it was gradual, but I think it really began around the early 2000s with the uh, popularity of the Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter books and movies. Did a lot to normalize fantasy. I mean, yeah. you know, fantasy's been around forever. Everyone has has enjoyed it. Dragonlance, uh, you know, being a big property. You know, Bob Salvatore's books being a huge, huge thing that you know kind of reached into more mainstream kind of areas and bestseller lists and things like that. But it was really those movies, those mass movies, mass market movies that made fantasy feel like something that you wouldn't be, you know ashamed to talk about you wouldn't look down at the kids uh, watching reading harry potter books uh and that type of stuff and then those kids you know who were of child age in the early 2000s now have their own children and are spreading that love and and are, are having that experience that i had when i was like oh i'm an adult now and i can actually you know embody some of these roles and i get together with my friends um i think that's a, that's a big part of it i think fifth edition is a is a big reason yep. why uh dnd is so popular right now i mean it's I, I came here at Wizards uh, in 2015, uh, March 2015, which was also, oddly enough, the same week, if not month, that Critical Role uh, started uh, streaming, which oh, no put, a pin in, put a pin in that. I'll get back to that in a second. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the uh, uh, you know the, the amazing work that the D&D team did to get ready for that 2014 launch of 5th edition can't be understated. I mean, I think that everything that is in those core rule books, the starter set, you know, and then obviously beyond just did a fantastic job of pulling all of the amazing parts of previous editions, uh, as well as focusing on the storytelling aspects and the character aspects uh, that like fantasy fulfillment part of the game that allowed folks who enjoyed Harry Potter and, and Lord of the Rings and other fantasy kind of things to be like, oh, I can be like this archetype and here's the here's the rule set for that archetype and it's very clearly laid out and uh, people were able to see themselves. I think, you know, the artwork that... Uh, showed uh, people of color and more women uh, as these heroes uh, on equal footing, you know, not with, you know, any kind of objectionable armor choices or anything like that, uh, allowed more people to be like, I can, I can be these characters and uh, enjoy this time around uh, the table with my friends. Uh, and fifth edition uh, is, is just excellent at that. Uh, and then of course, streaming, you know, I think the idea, you know, I mentioned that script that was in the early D and, you know, in D and D books, you know, that idea, which was sound, uh, is now on everybody's screen, right? People can see what it's like to play Dungeons and Dragons and more, more importantly, I think different flavors of Dungeons and Dragons out there that has allowed people to be like, you know, cause it, it's really hard to parse, uh, if you if you have no familiar with what role playing games are, it's really hard to read the player's handbook and be like, "What? How does? I mean, I get that these are rules and I get some fantasy excitement about this, but how does the game actually work? You don't get that until you start watching, I think, or listening. And uh, the prevalence of Dungeons and Dragons play that is out there in all of these mediums has allowed people not just to learn that, but also to realize that there are different flavors, and that if you go into a game store or you 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 have your first D and D group and it isn't exactly what you expect, you you know thirty years ago you might have bounced off the the, the hobby. You might have been like, oh, all right, well it's not for me. But with the idea of streaming out there and having different flavors, people would be like, all right, well that that just wasn't my the group that fit the style of play that I like, I'll try again and I'll try again. I'll try maybe, you know, three or four times before you finally find the group that works for you. I, I didn't mention this, but I did, I did play Dungeons and Dragons a couple of times in, in high school and college. Uh, and I had that experience. I kind of bounced off those groups. I never found a consistent group that went through an entire campaign, uh, you know, because it just never really melded with me. Everybody had scheduling problems and blah, blah, blah. So, so I had that experience where I had to bounce off uh, uh, from from playing for three or four times before I found a group in New York that I latched onto and played with for for two and a half years in the Age of Worms campaign. Um, so, you know, if someone uh, like myself who 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 had that experience once, they would they wouldn't play again. And I think streaming allows people to be like, all right, well, let me pick and choose and figure out what works for me. As well as, I mean, this is an analogy I've used a couple of times, but uh, to me, streaming is like sports broadcasting. You didn't really learn. Uh, how to uh, you didn't really learn the rules or how to play baseball baseball or basketball when you were a kid by reading the basketball handbook mm. or you know <laughs> here's the rules of baseball yeah. I mean the rules of baseball are really dry you know they're you can't <laughs> figure out how the game is played you learn by watching you learn by listening to the commentary about it so guys you know podcasts like yours is a big part of people learning how to how to play the game as well as finding aspirational figures that you want to emulate you know like be like Michael Jordan well people want to be like 
Marisha Ray, like Matthew Mercer, like, you know, Satine Phoenix, like Chris Perkins, you know, they find the figures and like, oh, I want to, I want to have, uh, uh, you know, that person be my, my hero and my goal and, and, and the people that I want to kind of work towards. Um, so I think streaming allows that for, for people too. So there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. Sorry. I, I get no, on a roll. No, it's good. It's you coffee. were on a roll. There was no, there was no like wanting to, inter- but there's so much to unpack there. I think if we could kind of go back to like, cause I, I kind of want to unpack what you talked about, but go back a little bit to like the, where we were. And mm-hmm. I like you brought up the popularity of fifth edition now, love it or hate it. Like obviously fourth edition was, polarizing in a lot of ways uh and that was really what it was is you either loved it or you hated it and like i remember like first making the show like coming from that i don't like this and i made it very clear but like a lot of people wrote into the show or like fourth edition was my introduction and fourth edition like like is what i love about it and it's like i've come to realize it's like you can't you can't really bash any edition because for somebody that fit and for somebody that was their their gateway into role playing, and it was like for them, it's going to be always special. But that being said, like fourth edition, there was a lot of like, do I like it? Do I not? Uh, fifth edition, like fifth edition, seems to have skyrocketed. And I remember in college hearing and seeing all the news about fifth edition and seeing uh, Wizards of the Coast like doing so much play testing for it. You guys did. Like a crazy amount of playtesting, fifth edition, which to me as a fan of the game spoke to the fact that you guys at Wizards were trying to get it to be the greatest edition that you that you could. Yeah. So uh, can can you and maybe here's my first question, uh, and I don't know how much you can speak to about this, but I have I have heard a lot of like rumors, and maybe they are more than rumors that. There was this thought at Hasbro and Wizards that if 5th edition didn't really get off the ground in the way they were hoping, that D&D was pretty much going to be done. Can you speak to that at all? Is that is there truth behind that? Is there Well, uh I like I said I got here after uh Fifth edition was launched, yeah. uh, so I don't I don't really know about the before times so much. Uh, the before as, times, yeah, right during fourth edition. <laughs> I I mean I will so I I don't really I can't really speak to that, but I do know that there was uh you know it was a gamble. It was definitely yeah. like a you know how, how, you know how do we get the community and the hobby back in a place that is uh you know unified once again. I, I, you know I think your description of fourth edition as being polarizing is is is, is pretty apt. You know I mean I. I I'm going to push back a little bit because I think I was actually kind of in that middle ground. Like I was like, I don't really understand some of these mechanics, <laughs> but I had g- groups um, that I love playing yeah. uh, fourth edition with. Um, and I've heard from people that have said, uh, you know, similar to what you, what, what, what you mentioned that like, you know, that was just, that was my intro to it. And I loved the the kind of tactical flavor of that, of that version of Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, you know, I always said that a good, a good dungeon master could, work with any rule set and make it really exciting and that was very true uh my my biggest thing was the uh the the disassociation of the mechanics from reality uh at first i'm like oh that's really cool but then after play testing it uh uh and and having groups i was like well why can't i just use this power that pushes this person and does fire (laughs) damage does it create fire like can i use this in a way to solve a problem that isn't combat related uh and the mechanics didn't say one way or the other and the dungeon master had to be like yes or no and there was no you know a fracturing there as well just combats lasted forever uh you know there was no way to you know once you got to a certain point in the leveling curve it was like every encounter was three hours uh and uh it involved too much for my tastes the you know, hey, if you do this, I'll be able to do that and then that player will be able to do this mm-hmm. and it'll have to be the best thing ever. And I'm like, yeah, but why, why, it's not a very cinematic fight scene if we're negotiating, which which some people loved, right? Like, right. I know D and D players that would play combat all day, and I know D and D players that would be like, I could play a whole campaign and not ever roll a die in combat, and most I think fit somewhere in the middle. But right, play style is different. But like, so they're obviously you know you're coming from that like, but then fifth edition. I mean, you talked about the popularity. So I think, so I'll jump in. Two things. One, 
fourth edition super empowered a dungeon master because the math on that stuff was insanely <laughs> oh tight like you just like <laughs> you do this this and this and it works out and like if it is supposed to be hard it is hard if it's supposed to be easy it is easy and it was yeah. amazing it was amazing in that way that it empowered dungeon masters in a different way than ever before i i yeah, and I, I'll just jump in real quick and say yeah. it was it was a lot more fun to design for fourth edition than it was to uh, than I think a lot of people uh, was to, to play for it. Like I think I think it was really because it, it was just a really tight system, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can iterate on so many different ways on this, and it was and it was great. So uh, I agree with you. Yeah. So for fifth edition, I I will say something that I think is true of every edition of Ju- Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Every edition that has come out has been a labor of love. That's how this. That's how this hobby works. That's what we do. I, you know, and I'm not. We're not throwing giant checks in the bank. That's just not how this <laughs> podcasting thing works. So it is a labor of love. Mm-hmm. I think in the early editions that came across so much more because it was so much more personal. You had the brother cousin scenario. That's how you learned. That's how yeah. you learned about the game was the brother cousin. Uh, you know, and the <laughs> that kind of thing. Or sister cousin, depending. Yeah, on. Sister, yeah, sister cousin. All, all the cousins all the siblings, like that's just how you <laughs> learned. And I think it was harder as technology was coming into like the world and like how ubiquitous like my phone is. Like I can play D&D on my phone. I can pull up D&D Beyond. I can pull up dice rollers and I can do everything like that now. I think fifth edition is the first place where that love is more easy to see. Like the care that was put into the creation, the Mm -hmm. care that was put into every single aspect, like the art, the story, just literal words on the page. Like this sounds super cheesy, but I'm I've overcommitted. So this is the words I will say. But like fifth edition was like open arms. Mm -hmm. Like we want everyone that's ever played and everyone that will play to feel like this is the game for them. Like that felt like that was the goal and that's made it easier for people to adopt it. And it's encompassed all the different flavors. Uh, so I think, you know, the, the one thing I will say about uh, what I've heard about 4th Edition's development, it was, you know, like like 5th Edition was a gamble. I think 4th was a gamble. They were like, this is the way people will play this game going forward, and, and it, it won't be as accommodating to other types of play. And the designers behind that game were, were pretty adamant about, like, no, this is it. This is, this, we, we got this feeling, and this is where we're going to go with. And I think fifth edition and the folks that you know worked on fourth and are now working on fifth like you know jeremy crawford mike merles uh and uh uh, chris perkins you know they were there for all of fourth edition development too and they have said many uh, time and again that you know there would be no fifth edition if fourth edition wasn't there like it was a step along the way uh and i think what those three and you know and in extension the rest of the DD team learned was like you know having a specific flavor of dungeons and dragons born out in the mechanics you know, maybe that wasn't the right call. Maybe if we make it open to however people want to be able to play and give the different um, types of role players out there more choice and and empower them to create the types of games that they want, one that might focus more on story, one that might, you know, allow for really, you know, um, uh, in-depth tactical, you know, uh, uh, play, um, you know, and all the different flavors in between then that's going to be the the way forward with success. And as you said, the open arms, like basically, you know, and it's something that uh, uh, in my discussions with Jeremy Crawford in, in the Sage Advice segment on, on Dragon Talk, it's always been, it's like, follow, follow your bliss, follow the type of game that you want to play. The fifth edition rules are there to support all of those types of play. I think that's like one of the reasons that, D&D and tabletop role playing is is on the rise in an incredible way is you know you you mentioned I mean we got 5th edition we got like you mentioned Greg streaming and podcasting and all this kind of stuff but to me like the fact that it's so accessible these discussions uh and like not only like actual plays in uh audio or video media but mm-hmm. also like discussions on it I know for me the from the first time I sat down to do this podcast to now I have grown a lot in talking to our guests and like my mindset of what this hobby is has like grown in a huge way and to me I see this community for tabletop role playing is exactly what we're saying is this welcoming and I I feel like it for some people, it has always been that. 
but there wasn't always this wave of that, and this is like how it's supposed to be. Um, I remember feeling that dungeon mastering in itself was almost this like closed gate or this gate that was hard to like, you had to find the right key and the right key was like knowing all the rules and knowing this and knowing that. And when we first started the podcast, I I remember getting lots of emails saying, I'm like, I'd like to DM, but I'm scared to, or I just don't know like if it's the right fit. And we got a lot less of those emails now. And yeah. I'd like to think with our show, it's because we because we got those emails, we encourage our listeners, like, give it a try. Like, you don't have to know all the rules. Like, that's fine. Like, if there's a player at your table who knows the rules better, cool. Use them as a resource. Like, it's it's storytelling. Have fun. Be okay with mistakes. And I like to think that that's what I see in the community as well. Like, people like Satine Phoenix, like, just encouraging people to jump in, to tell stories with a group of players, and also just the welcoming atmosphere. I was following this Twitter thread recently that was like, basically, tell us your hor- your horror story of the group that you left immediately. And <laughs> reading through these stories, it was just like, oh, man, that's that's terrifying. Like, why did that happen? Who thought that was okay? But there were also, like, many, many stories of, like, also like a person in the group doing something that is just not okay. And uh, whether it's, it's racist or sexist or um, just totally devoid of any caring about the other people at the table. And then a follow-up story of how that behavior was shut down. And I think that's becoming more and more of the norm in tabletop gaming of this realization of like, this has to be a, like, we want to all be having fun together. We want to have a safe place to enjoy a game and we want it to be welcoming. And that's a good thing that this is, this is what's being pushed. And I just see that as such something that's so prevalent right now in the community. And I have to attribute part of the success to that push in the community. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think it's been uh, something that I latched onto as soon as I got here as well was like the power of um, streaming. And I, you know, I mentioned how critical role, uh, uh, debuted the same month that I started working here at Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I think there were people even here who were like, uh, is that, is that good? Do we want people to be doing this? And, you know, I got emails for months and years, even after I started that were like, I want to stream Dungeons and Dragons. Is that okay? Do I need permission from you? Uh, and, and I think, there might have been some folks here in the building, you know, from 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 previous generations who were like, "Well, no, that's our IP, and they're going to be using our IP, and that, you know, it's going to." And I think when I got here, I was like, "What are you guys talking about? Like, we want everyone to be playing this game and broadcasting it to as many people as possible. That's the only way that this is going to grow." And to open that up to folks that are not, uh, you know. 30, 40 years ago, what your stereotypical uh, D&D player was. Uh, you know, let's let's get more women playing. Let's show more women playing. Let's show more people of color playing because, you know, those communities have just as many, if not more, nerdy people, you know, who love fantasy than than uh, uh, any other community. And so, um, you know, I think the the gatekeeping and the shunning and they're like, oh, if you, you needed to be a fan since 1982 and if you ha- aren't and you've never played Gosh, I'm blanking on the uh, uh, the the name of the adventure that Tomb of Annihilation was based on. Uh, Tomb of Horrors. Oh, if you never yeah. played Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. Um. You know, then you're not you're in, not the, a in real the club. Fan, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you I think haven't experienced the pain of Tomb. But, <laughs> but that's right. But that's my favorite mentality of just like, well, I'm not going to hire you because you don't have any experience. I'm like, I can't get any experience though if you don't hire me. <laughs> yeah, Hold right. on. I, I mean, I think the biggest push, you know, and like you were saying, Jeremy Crawford, it's find your bliss. But I think the undertone of that also that is prevalent in the community is also not yucking someone's yum. Yeah. Uh, is like just because you're finding your bliss, that doesn't mean it's someone else's and just figuring that out. Also, I realized my my answer to did you do well or did you win, which is a common question that people ask when they don't know what Dungeons, yep. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons is. But I always look back to my players because, as you can imagine, I run the game. And I'm like, did you all have fun? Yes. Then, yeah, I won. 
Like yeah. we all won. We all that, won. That, that's the only actual yeah. goal at this table. That's I mean, yeah, I that's keep... always my answer when people like, oh, like, oh yeah, you had D and D last night. Did you win? And I just go always every time, <laughs> every time because I played D and D. They all <laughs> died. I had more fun. It seemed like they had fun too, but that's that's the only goal. So I think we can close it out by going around with the final question of where in the world will we go next? I just pie like I love the idea of just throwing out some pie in the sky stuff of what we think Dungeons and Dragons could be five, ten years from now. I mean, obviously, Greg has a, a slightly more in tune perspective yeah, right. than Mitch, right? But Greg's gonna give it, yeah. Two of yeah. us will not be giving actual <laughs> one of us. You perhaps may want to listen closely. Yeah, yeah, perhaps even three of us. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to speak to any specifics, but as a fan, I think there is uh, so much possibility for Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I think one thing that is, uh, you know, near and dear to my heart is uh, education and D and D. I think something that. I've uh, been trying to foster is, um, you know, teachers using Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but but role playing games in general to uh, get across concepts like, you know, uh, you know, uh, consuming English literature and, and, and getting to it. You know, I mean, I love the idea. Uh, I talked to one teacher who created an entire unit that their students played, uh, you know, created characters, went back in time through uh British literature and they like fought Grendel and, and uh, you know, went through the, the wardrobe and Lion the Witch in the wardrobe and did all like wove this entire campaign all in their classroom and then received rewards uh, that they could then, you know, and then if they were you know, acting up in class, they got, you know, rewards taken away from them. So it was this great like classroom management slash content delivery tool that everybody in the, in the classroom was so excited to be a part of because they were playing D and D they weren't being taught at or, or lectured to. Uh, and I think something like that, being uh, formalized into uh, a product or, or some program to uh, give to teachers is something that uh, I think I would love to see in five to 10 years as well. The amazing strides that uh, mental health professionals has have had uh, using role-playing games, but D&D specifically to, uh, you know, help uh, people who are on the autism spectrum, you know, learn about uh, how to um, you know, get practice social interacting and things like that. I mean, I think role playing is a great framework because it's not them who's 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 out, you know, taking the risk. It's their character, and then having that separation has been uh, uh, really great. And then also allowing for for teachable moments with that. I mean, uh, you know, Doctor B uh, and uh, all the folks that take this, as well as Doctor Megan Connell, uh, who are yeah, uh, doing all this kind of great work. Uh, the Games to Grow uh, Kickstarter that is going on right now is 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 a part of this as well. Um, I think again, having more formalization and, and a way to use uh, role playing games and those things, as well as you know, helping folks um, deal with PTSD and, and other you know, uh, you know, th- th- mental mental health uh, issues in general. Uh, I think is is wonderful, and I think I want to see more of that grow into becoming uh, more ubiquitous in the mental health uh, profession. Perfect. I mean, two things right off of that is we, you know, we added a podcast to our network called Detentions and Dragons, and it's a pair of teachers that use D and D directly in their classroom. Oh, and then love it. An- another friend on the network who just started being a teacher, and like that's one of his goals as well. Also, I will forever attribute Bob Salvatore and the the Dritz books for the reason my reading level is where it is. Like I remember picking up that first one and taking weeks to get through it, and now it's just like. Book done. Okay. And Everyone's vocabulary is improved by reading D and D book manuals and novels in general. Like you just, you, I learned so many words that I didn't know from those books. I might stumble over communications, but anytime <laughs> I want to, anytime I want to say mental barons in, I can do it any day. Any yes, any you're like day of the right, right off. Yep, Dracaris. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously I, I don't work at a company that, uh, has all the insights, but I would really hope that within five to 10 years, if that's the range we're shooting for, that somewhere in there, I'm sitting down in a theater watching the words Dungeons and Dragons scroll across the screen. And yeah, that would be just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm hoping these whispers one day become a shouting loud exclamation um that's out there 
Um, here's, here's my question to you because this is something that I I've been. Yes, I will struggling. absolutely be an extra in it. Yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. done and done. We'll, you'll get the arrow in the eye. Ooh, okay, uh, you said done death. and done. All right, Greg, I'm, I'm expecting it. for you uh, to a make. Yeah, death, yeah. paperwork is in the mail. Bear. Yeah, a right. death extra, even better. Go on. <laughs> yes, uh, but here's my question because I I've I've often had that same dream, um, and I wonder if. Um, what's, what, what, what is your perfect Dungeons and Dragons oh. piece of entertainment? Okay. Is so it, we did I mean, a I'm, whole, hold on, hold on. we did a whole episode on this, but yeah. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you should listen I, to it. I, I listened to a bunch of your episodes, but I missed that one. Um, <laughs> the, so for me, it's the question of, is it something that's set all in the world, no. say Forgotten Realms, or is it something that, uh, has the mix of what, what makes, what is pure D&D to me, which is what is happening at the table with the individuals that are there and what they're imagining and yeah. the, the the shared storytelling. I think B is a much stronger representation of what D and D is. I would love to. I think I described it as this way in the episode. Is that I described B and I said I would love to see like a bunch of teenagers in a basement and they're telling the story. And I want like a Guardians of the Galaxy feel to like like tone wise to this Retro. this movie. That's what I'd love to see. And I'm just imagining this one scene where like. It's dramatic, and they're going up against a Baylor demon, and all of a sudden, the Baylor demon says, dinner is ready, and you shoot back to the kids, and they're like, mom, give us five minutes, we're almost done this battle, like, you know, like, mixing in, like, little, uh, humor is a huge part of D&D, even when you play in the most dark campaigns, some of the most dark campaigns that I've run had the most around-the-table humor, because you needed to break that tension, and I would sure. love to see that portrayed on screen. Like like you said with streaming, Greg, showing people who don't know the hobby more about what the hobby really looks like. So absol- absolutely that. Did you guys ever see this video? And it kind of it kind of uh, is the it, my go-to for explaining this concept. And it, and it honestly makes me cry. It's like a five-minute video. I'm a parent. My 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 daughters. Uh, uh, you know, hold a sentimental value in my heart. So maybe that's why I, 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 it jerks the tears right out of my eyes. But it's something that was made for Loot Crate. Uh, again, almost right when I started D&D. So it was around 2015. They were going doing a, a Dungeons & Dragons box. And to pr- promote it, they made this video. And it's uh, kids showing up to, you know, like, uh, uh, to uh, as their kids in the, you know, 90s or 80s. And like, oh, new kid, he's going to play D&D with us. And, they you know, he joins the group. And it's a small group. It's only like two or three characters. Uh, and uh, the, the kids grow up over the course of this five-minute video. They have, like, a couple of scenes. I mean, like, oh, you know, but, and they, they, sh- they check in with their lives and where they are and there's you know women and men in this and then i'm tearing up already thinking about it but <laughs> the 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 main character's like daughter comes to the table at, when they're all adults they all got back together again after you know 20 years and she brings snacks to them and he says uh oh do you want to come join us and it's this beautiful moment and i want whatever D property that we're talking about doing i needs to be something like that yeah mix it mix, there's got to be feels there's got to be humor because all these things are all these things are huge parts of the hobby. Yeah. And like and I I don't see that being coming to fruition on the big screen or the silver screen or whatever if you don't have people making the movie behind it, actors and director and whatever who love the hobby who are yeah. in it because they're the ones who are who are going to understand and get it and yeah. Luckily we have a whole bunch of uh Hollywood professionals, writers, directors, so editors, many. costumers, oh uh, and uh, you know producers who are just it. coming forward with yeah. their love of Dungeons and Dragons, how they play on a weekly basis. Many of them are going to be at D and D Live 2019, The Descent, uh, and uh, I, I can't wait to be in that mix again. I mean, something yeah. about that event that always uh, <laughs> maybe I'm just a sap, but it brings a tear to my eye about that yeah. too. It's just like these, these people that you don't, you know, I, 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 as that kid who read it, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring this all back as that kid who was reading the book by himself and realizing like, Oh, this, this is this beautiful world. Um, I want to uh, be a part of it. And then seeing it realized in the flesh with the lights and the cameras and the costumes and the sounds with these people, um, all sharing that love together, it really just just become a, uh, uh, you know, as many people said after the after the stream of many eyes last year that we had a happiness hangover because yeah. everyone was just smiling and laughing and enjoying this love of the game uh, together. And I'm hoping that uh, we 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 get you know three days of headaches of a hangover <laughs> from D and D Live uh, this year. If you asked me five years ago if I would ever experience Stephen Colbert and Joe Manganiello 
talking about Dungeons and Dragons on live TV, I would have been like, get right? out of here. And That's that crazy. happened. And it was yeah. beautiful. And I, and, as and a Anderson Cooper, fan, I'm and si- like, yeah, yeah, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. And they're talking about stuff that part of their audience, a big part of their audience is going, what are, what are these words? Yeah. And I'm yeah. sitting there going, I feel so loved right now. The so. fact that he rolled a, a well, rolled 20. a d twenty and then got a nat twenty yeah. was like <laughs> this. This means something. The hand of God reached down and. <laughs> I was saying, as I'm wearing my my death saves t shirt right nice. now. Yes. I think so. All of that's amazing. So my pie in the sky is that everyone just feels comfortable with D and D. Whatever that <laughs> we do, no, no, just, we do yeah, right no, now. Just like no, but I mean, like so many more people find it. Like there yeah. is no, there is no question that this can be exactly what you need it to be. Like you said, education, mental health, just just socialization on a just a normal level, and finding people that just have a like mind. But there's there's only one way that I think that happens, and that's with like everybody listening to the show right now. Like we like you, it's we're all pioneers in that. We all have to make that happen at our home tables. We yeah. have to in, like invite people who you think would benefit from this hobby. Greg said, like there, there are like medical professionals now going. There are therapeutic like aspects of this game. So like inviting and like welcoming in and making sure that your table is a safe, fun place to do this. And like, I mean, for me, like if if you're out there and you like me are part of a community, and I'm talking as a pastor that. Right. Some people in the community, you know what? Some people you'll never change their minds, but some people you will. So have a conversation. Well, and those, I mean, it. not to be morbid, but those people are, uh, uh, you know, dying off. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the, the younger generation is there. Sorry, I'm walking and talking, you're, but you're the younger right. generation is there to uh, to build up and get more skills. And I think that's why, guys, uh, you know, your podcast is so amazing. It's because, you know, Dungeon Masters and the... Uh, um, you know, uh, building up of more of them is the, the, the limiting factor for the hobby in some ways. And so inspiring more people to get behind that screen and talk more about, um, you know, ways to bring their creativity to bear and converting more players into dungeon masters and, you know, uh, uh, regular people into, into players, into dungeon masters, I think is, is uh, a big part of that. And, uh, you know, by playing, you know, we've heard from people who are playing with different separate generations of, of, of folks from, from grandparents to parents to, to, to young children, um, you know, and me being able to play with my five-year-old who, uh, uh, you know, I, I was a dungeon master at first and then uh, I was like, oh, well, I'm the one who gets to decide, you know, what you see in here and blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, I want to do that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> next session, you be the dungeon master. And she did fantastic and she made it all up on the fly. You know, she had like a little bit of a plan, but then she was okay with improvising and, and, and made it all happen. And I think more uh, that we can encourage that uh, is is just going to make this, that, that comfortability that Neil's talking about. So we have... Another question, the most important question, as I like to refer to it as, hit us with all the links, all the places. Where can people go to find all the things you want them to find? Well, I mentioned uh, D&D Live. All we want is many people watching to uh, learn about the new storyline. Uh, you know, we, we have been using these events to talk about where uh, the stories will go. We, we know Waterdeep Dragon Heist and uh, Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage was announced at the Stream of Many Eyes. This one, we got another adventure to talk about. So we'll find out all about that at D&D Live, May 17th. That's dnd.wizards.com slash dndlive2019. All the schedule, all the information for that is available there. Um, we'll be broadcasting live starting um, at 2 p.m. Pacific time on May 17th. Um, and uh, we'll have a special kind of live stream game. I can't talk about that right now, but by the time this airs, you'll probably know why. Uh, but that's really exciting. And then at 4 p.m., we'll be unveiling the new adventure uh, on that uh, Friday the 17th. And then we'll have tons of content from so many streamers and amazing creators all weekend long. Um, tune in. It'll be on uh, twitch.tv slash dnd, as well as our YouTube channel, Facebook Live, Twitter, Steam. In, uh, did I say YouTube? YouTube as well. We're trying to broadcast to as many different channels as possible. So whatever is your favorite streaming platform of choice or video on demand platform of choice, it will all be there. And uh, we want as many people watching as possible. Honestly, the more people watching, that will um, you know ensure that this D&D thing uh, you know, takes off. So do that. And then of course I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter, but you don't have to worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, 
Thank you, Greg, again for so coming much. on and talking to us about where D and D is, where it is, yeah, where it was, where it is, and where it might go. Nice. And then now you guys got to have me back on, and we'll just talk about dungeon mastering. Uh, uh, yes, we'll do I it. love listening to your podcast and finding oh, I get inspired thanks. and want to just keep jumping in uh, and playing more sessions than I already am. But uh, uh, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, you will hear Greg Tito back on the Dungeon Masters block then sometime in the near future. Nice. Thanks, guys. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I've been dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, where we take stories, ideas, and questions from you, the listener. And today we have one from DM Jason, and it's an interesting one. I like it. They basically took a picture that they had found on the internet to use as inspiration in their game. And they did not meticulously review the picture, as I know myself would not. And surprise, surprise, one of the players picked something out that they would not have necessarily wanted. Uh, So it was an image of kind of a forest clearing, and there was a tarp in there. And so one player saw the tarp, immediately calls it out, and in the mind of DM Jason, it's like, story, game, ruined. (laughs) But then they thought to themselves, you know what? Wait a minute. And basically from DM's block and DMnastics of like, yes, and, and think on your feet, took what they had and twisted it. So they basically twisted their timeline. And now not only is the evil cult of Odin, because it is set in the real world, summoning forth this powerful devil, but now the lines between like present and past are crossing. So that's why the tarp was there. I love it. So, I mean, this is just a great example. It's a different example, but a great example of DM Jason improving, right? Like being on his feet in the middle of a game. I definitely use a lot of images for inspiration of my games, but I've kind of personally moved away from showing images at the table. I think possibly just because I don't have like an iPad that would make it really easy to like throw those images up. But in this case, Jason showed an image and instead of going probably what I would have done and been like, guys, give me a break. I found the inter- it on the Internet. I didn't realize the tarp was there. Move on. Pretend it's not there, which he could have very well done. Instead, he rolled with it. Yep. And I love that because what DM hasn't, the longer the that you DM, the more times your players are going to be throwing you curveballs or Things that you get online or from other places that you're like, oh, this is perfect for a game. Little things that you miss are going to throw you curveballs. So as a DM, are you going to just roll with it? Are you going to go with it? Are you going to improv and improve that improv skill? That's a great, great story about DM Jason doing just that. I agree because I 100% thought that is not the route. I love Do do as we say, not as we do, apparently, yes. because both Mitch and I would have been like, get out of here with that tarp idea. Yeah. And so because I can see my player too, like having a big smile on their face while they mm-hmm. point out something wrong. Yep. Yep. And so if anything, thank you, DM Jason, for putting it back on us to be better about the things that we tell mm. in the podcast. We just want to thank Greg again for coming on and diving into that conversation about D&D on the rise. Like I said, a lot of really interesting, useful information and the most knowledgeable person in the room. So thank you, Greg. And if you want to email us and tell us about how D&D might be on the rise for you, you can always head over to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you see fit and you want to leave us a five-star review, you can always do it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcaster of choice. And hopefully we can find it and read it on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. If you'd like to keep up with the show, get updates about episodes coming out get updates about Patreon content being thrown out there. Those are the places that you want to go for all of that goodness. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Brandon Lee! Thank you so much, Brandon Lee. Brandon is a silver dragon. We are just so supportive 
of the support that all of our dragons give to us. Man, Neil, to have a show with all these dragons behind us, we're pretty powerful. We're yes. pretty powerful. And to have Brandon, a silver dragon, join those ranks means everything to us. Brandon, we hope that you are enjoying all the rewards on the Patreon. Uh, but thank you so much for your support. Yes, thank you very much. And as always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, Detentions and Dragons, and more. And we just want to thank you again for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch reminding you to always keep on Dungeon Mastering. It's not inspiration, it's not wisdom, and it's bad advice. You should steal your players' character sheets and change numbers and see if they notice. Would you rather play Dungeons and Dragons with a group of authors, scriptwriters, playwrights? Oh, I see what happened. I'm going to read it again. Okay. <laughs> this is the joy. It's going of, in the outtakes. Yeah, this is the joy of other people writing things and then I, yeah. I don't realize. Oh, that. man. The amount of times we have to change questions around or reviews around and we're just like, wait, what is. Or they'll do a typo and we're like, that word makes no sense there. What what are, what they, are they trying they, to say? Act, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> yep. Okay. Is it? I got it. I'm ready. And the phone is ringing. Go for it. This is Neil. So at this point, hey. Neil is on the phone. Uh, yes. Yeah, interrupting give me a quick minute our current ahead. episode. Okay. Uh, yep. And he's laughing while he's on the phone, but this is. I'm still recording, so I'm just going to keep. Well, I was on. also still recording. Um, <laughs> but. Goodbye.